It is a blessing to have each of you, but we actually have someone who actually last Sunday was their first time here, and anyone who last Sunday was your first time here, you're thinking, he's going to call me out. I'm really not. Uh, last Sunday, we had a baby with us, and it was the first time that that baby has been in service with us, and I thought the baby was in the nursery, come to find out, he was in here. Uh, we have, and I know some of you can't see because of where they are seated, but if those who can, if you want to look up to the sound booth, Derek Pulley is holding James Pulley. Uh, and he is a beautiful, healthy baby boy, an incredible blessing. Amy is hiding behind the wall back there, so uh, she had a little something to do with him as well, but it's great to have James with us, so... Hey, it is a blessing to be able to share with you, and I know that I already read the scripture once, but I, I really feel like it would be good to read it again, and actually I want to add a couple verses to that. So I want to invite you, if you would, to turn to Titus chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 3 through 11. I read earlier verses 3 through 8. Uh, it's a great passage, and as you know, I've been working through a series that has been dealing with leadership. I really think that Paul intended for Titus to be an incredible leader of God. And this is kind of his last address to Titus. Uh, so it's really important that we catch what's being said here in this passage. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, says this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time, and after that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Well, it is truly great to have each of you with us today, and we will look at this passage today in depth, and we'll try to at least get an idea of what Paul was saying to Timothy, or I'm sorry, to Titus. But before I get into that, let me just mention... Um, I know Jerry mentioned the homecoming service will be next Sunday, and homecoming is such a great time for us to remember, and we're going to tie remembering into today's message as well, because uh, I think it's important for us to be able to look back, and we really are looking forward to being able to celebrate as a church. This church has an incredible history behind it, uh, and while we celebrate the past, we also believe that God has a great future in store for us. You see, often by looking back, we can get a glimpse of what God wants to do even in the future. Because just as God moved in the past, he desires to move again in the future. 
One way that we'll do that next week is by practicing in baptism. Actually, uh, this passage even talks about individuals uh, receiving salvation. It talks about by the washing of water. And we already have a good number of individuals who are planning on being baptized this next Sunday. And it will be a very exciting time. But I also want to take a moment and invite others. Maybe there's someone in here that you've been in church for years and just never been baptized. Maybe you've recently made a decision for Christ and you've yet to be baptized. Maybe you were baptized as a child, but it really wasn't your choice. And you would like to be baptized to celebrate the work that God has done in your life. If that's you, I would love the opportunity to talk with you and maybe have the privilege of baptizing you along with the others next Sunday morning. Uh, It will be a great time and we will celebrate. Uh, Know that baptism in itself does not save anyone. Uh, The act of baptism is not necessary for salvation to take place. Think of the thief on the cross beside Jesus. He cried out to the Lord, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus gave him a promise Today, you will be with me in paradise. There was no act of baptism. It was simply the redemption of God that was made available. But in baptism, we celebrate what God has already done in us. So if that's you and you would like to be baptized, I would love to have you join us. We've spent the past couple weeks looking into what it looks like when we become leaders. We've addressed leadership in the home and in the church in the secular world, in any other place that you might uh, end up having to lead others. We've even looked at it from a demographic standpoint, including men and women and old and young and every age in between. And although I've joked about how politically incorrect this passage or this book seems to be, I really don't believe that it would have been perceived as politically incorrect to its original audience. Genuinely, Paul's original audience would likely have embraced what he had to say simply because they knew that they wanted to know Christ more than anything else. So all of the offenses basically fall by the wayside. Paul could have told them that if you go out and stand on your head, this will make you closer to Christ. They probably would have went out and stood on their head because they wanted so much to know Christ more. Now, he did not tell them that. Don't go home and say, Pastor said, if I'll go stand on my... That's not what I said. (laughs) These individuals, the original audience, they were looking not for someone to rub them the wrong way. They weren't so thin-skinned that every phrase would offend them. And they weren't looking for an excuse to walk away from Christ. They wanted to know Christ more intimately and to live in such a way that they would honor the sacrifice which he had already given for them. Tell me what I need to know. Tell me how I can be more like Christ. They simply had a perspective that enabled them to appreciate what they had, perhaps because they remembered their story. And we too must remember our story. I do want to start with a word of caution as we dig in here. Isaiah 43 verse 18 says, Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. There are many who seem to get lost in the past, but that's not what I'm inviting you to do today. 
Some people want to glorify their sin, the things that were a part of their good old days. But do you also remember waking up with regret or carrying the shame and guilt, hoping that nobody else found out what you had been doing in the middle of your sin? Sometimes we foolishly want to celebrate the things that we got away with. But it was those things that cost Jesus his life. I think of the addicts who remember the partying and the laughter and they look back and they think, wow, we got to do all kinds of great stuff. But they conveniently forget the pain and regret that they experienced when they woke up the next morning, wondering what they had done in the midst of their sin or maybe remembering what they had done in the midst of their sin. Others don't want to glorify their sin, but rather they develop a sense of self-hatred because they cannot forgive themselves of their past. They've done some pretty bad things. How could God forgive me? I can't forgive myself. This passage tells us, forget the former things. And do not dwell on the past. You cannot change the things that have already been done. But you can make sure that from this point forward, you make different choices than you did before. So that's not the kind of remembering that I'm asking you to do. And this passage is calling us to do in Titus. You see, remembering can help you in multiple areas moving forward. For example, when you remember where you've come from and what God has saved you from, it makes it easier for you to walk in obedience. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15 is part of the Ten Commandments. It's actually found in Deuteronomy 5 and in Exodus chapter 20. But in Deuteronomy 5 15, this is the section addressing the need for God's people to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And this is what it says. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Well, what does remembering have to do with keeping the Sabbath? What does it have to do with obedience? Consider the fact that as slaves... The Israelites didn't have the option of a six-day work week. They worked when the master told them they would work, and they worked as long as he told them they would work. There was no time that was set, a, set apart specifically for worship or focusing on Christ. Now, I realize that this would seem like a little thing to most of us. In fact, there are many who now will work seven days without even thinking about it. I read not that long ago that this is the most ignored commandment among Christians. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, when you realize what has been done for you by God has been done solely out of love, it becomes much easier to obey him when he speaks. I've shared this often with husbands and wives when a wife is called to submit to her husband, it sounds like such a difficult task, but when you really think about it, if the husband has done what he's supposed to do, which is to love his wife just as Christ loved the church, sacrificially making her a priority to the family, 
When he has loved her in that way, it's a whole lot easier to submit to the authority of your husband. When you recognize how much God has extended his love to you already, it ought to make it so much easier for us to walk in submission and obedience to him. When we realize that the things that he is calling us to do are actually in our best interest, obedience should become natural. Know that when God's word tells you to abstain from all these things and to do all of these other things, it is absolutely in your best interest to obey. As a parent, I think I get a glimpse of what this might be like for God sometimes. You tell your kids, this is how you do it, and this is the way it needs to be done. But they got their own way, and they'll figure it out. And I'm sitting back, and I'm thinking, but if you would just do it the way I told in fact, sometimes I say it, if you would just do it the way I told you, it would be a whole lot easier. I, I kind of picture God doing the same thing with us. If you would just do it the way I told you, it would be a whole lot better off. And when we remember our story, another thing that, naturally, that it naturally results in is an increase in compassion. I have another passage from Deuteronomy to read to you. Deuteronomy 24, verses 17 and 18. This one says, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. Remember again, this time, the call is to remember that one day you were slaves. You were broken. You were poor. The call in this passage is to not exercise the authority that you could exercise. You may be an individual of great power, great influence, great wealth, but don't forget where you came from. On multiple occasions, the Israelites are instructed to not be greedy in the way they manage their fields. It was common for those who had nothing or very little to pick fruit off the edges of a farmer's field. It wasn't an excuse for the people to be lazy but rather it was a way for the Israelites to take care of one another. Do you remember when you needed to be taken care of? Do you remember when your brokenness caused you poverty, the inability to meet your own needs? Do you remember when things weren't going so well in your life and you wondered how you would be able to take care of your very next meal? Yet God provided this was especially appropriate as the Israelites were once in poverty. Remember that you were once slaves. Even beyond being slaves, once they left their slavery in Egypt, they became wanderers in a desert. And it was only because of the generosity of God and sometimes perhaps even the generosity of others that they were able to survive. This can apply to us in so many ways. The obvious application has to do with being generous to those who are in need around us. When you see a brother or a sister in need, empathize with them and ask yourself how you can help meet the need. There's, 
don't get me wrong, prayer is powerful and it is effective. We had a great time of prayer already here in this service. I believe in the power of prayer and we need to pray for those who are hurting. But if we pray for individuals, but do not also reach out to them in love, then I wonder sometimes if they even realize the value of prayer because it just seems like empty words. We need to be individuals who reach into the lives of those who are broken. But another application deals with those who are spiritually broken. Before you look in judgment upon other people, consider where you have been. Consider where you'd be today if not for the grace of God. You are no better or worse than others. You have just been redeemed. Remember where you once were. Another result of remembering your story is appreciation. Deuteronomy, again, chapter 9 this time, in verse 7, it says, Remember this, and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until, the, until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. We're talking about the Israelites here, and they had been wanderers at this point for about 40 years. They are now sitting next to the Jordan River across from the Promised Land. But during this journey, they have repeatedly aroused the anger of the Lord. Before you judge them, take a moment and remember what has taken place in your life. Sometimes we can forget that we truly don't deserve the forgiveness that we have. We look at all the good that we are doing now, and we forget that what we truly deserved was far worse than what we received. The wage of sin has always been death, and it still is. How many of us can look back and identify where we have aroused the anger of the Lord, yet his forgiveness was still extended to us. I mentioned earlier that sometimes we struggle to forgive ourselves. You know, God does not struggle with forgiving us. His grace is powerful and it is overwhelming. When you look at things from this perspective... It helps you to appreciate God's generosity to us. I'm not talking financial generosity. I'm talking about the forgiveness and the cleansing that he gave to us to set us free and make us whole. Well, we do need to remember our story, and really that's what this theme is today. But there is something that goes along with it. It's not just our story. We also need to remember his grace you see, because you can tell your story and you can talk about how you changed your life and you became a different person, but the truth is, only God can truly redeem us. I shared a verse with you last week from Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, and I told you you're going to hear it again because it's just been speaking to me a lot, and since I'm up front, you got to hear it again. But Joshua chapter 3, verse 5 says, sanctify yourselves. 
For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. There is a call for us to sanctify ourselves, but we are incapable of doing that without his help. You can be good all you want. You can try to live a clean life, but only Jesus Christ can truly wash away the filth of our sin. So we look, and while we are grateful for this call for us to remember our past, we need to also remember his grace. Romans 3, verse 20 through 24 basically tells us that he is the only way to salvation. This is what it says. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can truly offer us forgiveness. Hear how that passage began again. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. That means that even if you become really, really good at keeping the law, your righteousness will not be enough. In fact, the law simply serves to remind us of how much grace we actually need. We have all sinned and fallen short of his expectation. When you realize that every sin carries the same weight, all of a sudden we realize we're maybe not as good a people as we once thought we were. There's a guy, he's got a, a video series, his name is Ray Comfort, and uh, he walks around, he interviews people on the street as a part of this series, and he talks to them about the need for forgiveness. He talks to them about God's grace. But one of the things that he brings up often is the fact that all of us are sinners. Uh, often individuals will reply, well, but I'm a really good person. And then he'll begin to identify different things. Well, have you ever told a white lie? Have you ever lusted after a woman? Have you ever been so angry at someone that you would say you hated them? You know the answer. Well, yeah, everybody's done that. Well, if the wage of sin is death, and clearly the scriptures teach us that thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. If we look at the scripture, we recognize what we're doing is sin. Our goodness is not enough because the wage of sin is still death. But it's God's grace that makes up for that. Never forget that it was solely because of his grace that you have been redeemed. It has nothing to do with your talents or your abilities, your goodness or even your potential. It has to do with a gracious God who longed for a relationship with you. Remember his grace. I have one last thing that I want you to remember today, and it's what we see in that last paragraph of our passage today. I need you to remember what matters. 
Now, there's a reason why I bring this up, because so often in the church, we can get so distracted by all kinds of things. We can fight about all kinds of things. Our passage talks about all these silly things that we sometimes fight over. It's easy to get caught up in all the other stuff and lose sight of what matters most. We hear what he said, we see what she did, and the next thing you know, we are so focused on the brokenness of others that we have taken our eyes off the source of spiritual healing. In fact, at times I fear that sometimes we end up in a position where we know more about what we don't believe than what we do believe. We look at others and we see their belief system and our first thought is, what in the world are they thinking? That's not what you're supposed to, but if someone were to ask us what we believe, we might not even be able to give an answer. But we can tell you what they are doing wrong. The passage goes on to address steps that should be taken when other people tend to create division within the church. And this is important because guess what? It's going to happen. There are going to be times that division takes place in the body of Christ as a whole. It has happened already. It happens in the local church. It happens. It happens in the workplace. You have Christians that don't get along with each other. How do we handle division when it takes place? First, realize that not everything is worth fighting over. (laughs) Don't get caught up in all. I think the the phrase that was used here this morning is, uh, 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 pull it up here. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. So often we get caught up in all of the silly things that Is it really worth fighting over? But sometimes we allow it to be worth fighting over. I will say that there are some things that are worth fighting over. There are some things that we need to be very adamant about, that the scriptures teach this and we must be faithful to it. But sometimes the fight isn't going to change the situation. I will tell you, one of the greatest things that we need here is discernment. It's something that the Spirit gives, and we need to pray for discernment that God would help us to recognize when to open our mouth and when to shut it, and then the willingness to obey when he says to. The fact is, we could fight all day long, and I'm sure we could find someone else to disagree with with just about anything. I told someone recently My job is to make sure that I walk in such a way that honors God with everything that I have and to make sure that my church knows the truth of God's word. I may not agree with some other people, but it's not worth the fight all the time. Sometimes it is. In fact, it tells us here that when there is a disagreement, when there is an issue that needs to be addressed, there's a proper way to do it. It tells us, first of all, that we are to warn those who are divisive, warn them a second time if they do not respond the way they should, and after that, basically have nothing to do with them. The fact is, we need to offer grace first, and that's really what's within that first and second warning. 
We need to be looking for ways to restore the relationship, to make things right. What can we do to help this process turn around so it will actually turn into something good where we can grow together and learn from each other? Not in a confrontational, but in a conversational way to genuinely love the people back into a right position that honors God with their lives. But there are times that after those conversations have taken place, after you have addressed the division, that we must choose to part ways with the individual. See, here, here's the thing. If you hang around with negative people enough, you're going to become that negative person too. It's not much fun. <laughs> it's not much fun being around people who complain all the time. It's not much fun being around people who are always angry. And eventually, if you spend enough time with them, you'll become very much like them. I would rather spend time in the presence of a holy God who truly does love me more than life itself. I want to challenge you as a church to remember, first of all, your story. Remember how you got here all the brokenness that you had. Remember where you could be today. Remember that it was his grace that made it possible for you to leave that behind. And then remember that when all that silly stuff starts to come into play, there's something far greater that you could focus on, and it's Jesus Christ. I will make it clear, I'm not sharing this today because of division where people within the church are fighting with each other. But I simply believe firmly that when we truly fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that it will change our perspective with everything else that goes on around us. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, we are grateful today, not just for our story. We are grateful for the story that is there. We know that there was a time that... Due to our sin, what we really deserved was death. But as we prepare for that great day when we come into your presence, we no longer have to fear about the accusations of the enemy. We know that we can stand before you and know that our sins have been washed away by the shedding of your own blood. Thank you for the forgiveness that you've given. Thank you that our story didn't end way back then in the middle of our sin. Thank you for the grace that enabled us to write a new chapter. I pray that as we write the next chapter, as we live this life in a way that honors you, that you would help us not to get caught up in all of the other stuff, but to truly seek you above all else, to fix our eyes on you and to allow your spirit to move in our midst. I do pray that you would allow us to truly be sanctified. Help us to be set apart for your glory, to live a pure and holy life. And as we do, Lord, we look forward to the amazing things that you are about to do in our midst. Help us to fix our eyes on you and then use that for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
It is, again, a privilege to have you with us. And just remember, next week our service times are different. Uh, 9.15 for Sunday school, and then our service will be at 10.30 in this room. So love to have you come back and be a part of it. Thank you for being here today. Go in peace.